If you would, pull out your listening sheet. It should be in your bulletin. It looks like this. We'll read together the text for today out of 1 Samuel 25. This then is the text for today. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left in Naval until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week was a good sermon. I don't know if I can promise that this week, but last week was a good one. Last week, I preached in our contemporary Lagos service in our chapel, and it was good, and it was easy, because last week, David was on his best behavior. In fact, I kind of hate to admit it now, but last week, I went on and on about how good David was. He was such a good guy. If you remember from our text from last week, 1 Samuel 24, David was stuck in a cave. And he had this opportunity before him as Saul came in to relieve himself. He was right there in front of David and his men. And all of David's men were saying, go, get him, seize the kingdom now. But David waited. David was patient. David was listening to the Lord. Even as all of those men around him said, no, this must be God. David said, no, I know that's not true. And he held firm. He knew better. Last week, David didn't give in to that peer pressure. David was sitting right in the middle, dead center of God's will. I don't know where he went this week, but I know he wasn't in God's will. He wasn't in God's will this week. See, last week, right there, perfectly listening to God, and this week, nowhere near the will of God. Last week, I even praised David for lifting up those imprecatory psalms. You know, you know those psalms that, that are really hard to read, the, those prayers where David, many of them are of David, where David sort of calls down to God and, and calls up to God and says, God, come down and take vengeance upon my enemies. They're tough prayers. It's like Psalm 35, David prays against his enemies, saying, make their ways be dark and slippery that they may fall into destruction. Destruction. That was his prayer. It, it sounds dark, but it was holy. It, it, was, it was David's way of handling, handing all of that revenge over to God. He's looking up to God and saying, I will not take vengeance into my own hands. This is up to you, my father. It was a moment of faith and a moment of trust, and he let Saul go. David, last week, stood in front of God and everybody, and he declared to everybody that would listen, I trust my father to handle this moment. God will avenge me. David stood there in front of his men and said, there's not going to be blood on my hands. God will take care of this. It was beautiful. 
It was the perfect picture of trust in God. And that, that's exactly what we should do. If we have issues with some, somebody, we lay it out before our God. And we pray, trusting that God's going to handle it. We, we trust God, God will take any kind of revenge. See, we have that holy option every single day that, that we can wait and we can trust our God to handle it. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we can kneel at the throne of God and pray our hearts out. That was last week. Last week, David was perfect. In fact, I, as I was in Lagos last week, I looked out in the congregation and I said, please imitate David. Pray like David. Stand like David. Be patient like David. But not this week. This week, I can't, I can't say that to you. David seems to do everything the opposite this week. He seems to go out of his way not to do good this week. See, as, as the story, as 1 Samuel 25 unfolds, David and his men are out in the wilderness. They need aid, and so he decides he's going to go to the richest guy in the region and say, please help me. I, I did some favors for you that you didn't ask for, and now why don't you just re return the favor? And when the guy that, that he goes and, and asks for help says no, David just flies off in a fit of rage. Now, how in the world could David have been perfect last week and a buffoon this week? David's considered the greatest king Israel ever had. He's a fortress of a man if there ever was one. And in an instant, he is overcome by anger. Turns into a beast. Just like with that one look at Bathsheba did years later. You know, this, this is kind of like one of those moments when we realize in our life people that we have trusted with everything that we are, people that we have put our faith in, people that we have, let's see, every part of us end up failing us. You know, it's, it's an awful day when you, when you realize that your mother and your father are just as flawed as everybody else on this planet. Or when your best friend forgets about you altogether. Or maybe even when the minister that you have loved your entire life turns out just to be as sinful as the congregation. Here's David just kind of struggling along. He's the mighty warrior and here he is falling flat on his face. Sin so easily entangles and drops us all in our tracks. Sin sneaks up on the best of us and takes us down. You know, one week we're living as the holiest saints in the city, strong, unwavering in our prayer life, and then the next week we are just as angry and lustful as David was. And maybe we don't even make it a week. Maybe we make it a day, or maybe we make it an hour. There's this one good moment of holiness, and then, then we're shattered into pieces. There are days, there are days that come upon us just like they came upon David when we snap and we fly into a fit of rage at the slightest provocation. But then there are other days, there are good days too, where, where we, we are as an oak, unshakable in the fiercest winds. Kind of the conflict within that every one of us in this room are struggling with. I want you to look down at verse 13 with me. It's 1 Samuel 25, verse 13. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road for David in this text for today. 
David's men have gone to Naval and, and said, will you help us? He says, no. And so they come back to David. They arrive. They report every word. Then we get to 13. So David says to his men, each of you strap on your sword. And so they did, and David strapped on his sword as well. 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed in the baggage. First real moment here in the text this week. He gets this news. David gets this news that he doesn't like, and instead of doing something holy, his blood starts to boil, and he takes up this mantle of violence. Now, let's pause here for a minute, because there are all kinds of things that that David could have done in this day. There are all kinds of things that that would have been better than flying off the handle. He he could have taken the, uh, the approach of just counting to 10, maybe letting the anger float away. He could have prayed. He could have just went another direction. He even could have gone to Naval and went to his farm and blessed him, even though he didn't give him anything. Say, we love you, thank you anyway. But he didn't do that. And the the real issue here is that the behavior of other people should never affect our behavior. Because it doesn't matter what Naval did to David or with David or said about David. It doesn't matter what his behavior was. David's behavior should have stayed the same. He should have been the same as he was last week. And instead of saying the same as he was last week, he lets this man's behavior affect who he is and what he's going to do. And his blood starts to boil and he turns into this fit of rage. And this fit of rage was the one thing David should not have done. That's what he does. When we're confronted with difficulty in this life, whether it's circumstances or people or even people that we love, When we're confronted with real difficulty in this life, there's two courses of action that we can take. You can go the fleshly way or you can go the spirit's way. And you make a choice each and every time. Are you going to follow the flesh or are you going to follow the spirit? And generally, it it works out this way, that if you have been distant from God, you probably can't even see the spirit's way, not even visible to you. But sometimes it is. And if you've been distant from God and you do see the way of the Holy Spirit, then it just looks absurd. It doesn't even look like it, it's, it's a viable option. And that means we, we then react. If, if there's difficulty coming into our lives, we react according to the flesh. And our, our flesh has some tendencies. The flesh will always seek to protect itself. And it, it, it'll use your, your, your emotions and your wants to dictate a response. In anger, this is, what, well, this is what we typically do. In anger, we finally decide that, that we're just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm tired of being restrained. I'm tired of being the good person. I'm tired of being the only one that's calm in the room. And so we use a moment of difficulty to let ourselves loose and let our anger loose. You tell yourself that, that you can behave in a certain way because you deserve it. You've built up enough goodwill, and you've been mistreated, and so now you give yourself permission to to binge or splurge or fly off the handle, and you, you use those difficult circumstances. Good Christian people, people that were holy last week, use difficult circumstances to justify painful things and to justify things like anger and greed and lust and gluttony. We say, well, well, my situation is different and it's painful and we just let the flesh take over. And you indulge until you cannot indulge it anymore. That's what the flesh does. 
It's in every single one of us. Scripture teaches everybody in this room today deals with this conflict within. Every single one of us has the conflict of the flesh trying to take hold of us and steer us into a path of destruction. Our flesh is detrimental to who we are. It, it puts us in situations that weakens us to the point of destruction. And this is where we are with, with David in, in verse 13. David gets bad news, something he doesn't want to hear, and he gives into his flesh, and he sets off on a fight. There is another way. Scripture clearly teaches us there's a different way to go. You don't have to listen to those fleshly urges. You don't have to justify other kinds of behavior because the Spirit is setting out a different course. Because we know that, that as you draw near to God, as you spend time in the Word, as you spend time on your knees in prayer, God begins to change you, transform you from the inside out and make you something different to minimize the flesh and, and see the spirit flourish within you. And, and this, is, this is what happens. You, you start to have difficult circumstances that come into your life and they present themselves to you. And instead of flying off the handle in anger, you respond out of love. This is what Galatians 5 talks about, the fruit of the spirit. I'm, I'm sure you know it. In Galatians chapter 5, we, we get this list of behaviors that says we're going to become more like this. The longer and the more time we spend with God, the more these things are going to show up in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things start to show up. Whenever you have difficulty in your life, you respond and you react in those ways out of patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control instead of all those fleshly ways. That's how you know God, God's at work on you. That's how you know God has a hold of your life is you start to see those things show up instead of the anger and the lust and the gluttony, the greed, those things sort of disappear, Right? The more we're with our God, the more those things start showing up when we face difficulty. So since last week, last week David was perfect. But, but David seems to have drifted from God. And now in this moment, this week, he chooses the flesh and charges ahead in anger. Last week's hero becomes this week's wreck. But here's the good news. Because we see this often. We see this even in our own lives where last week we were a saint and this week we are a wreck. Here's the good news. Because as unstable as David seems to be between 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 25, as, as off-putting and unstable as that is, our God is unwavering. God has made it his constant work to save us from ourselves. God is a master. God is a master at saving me from myself if I would only but listen. Look at what God does for David in our text for today. When, when, when David's flesh takes over, God intervenes. See, David, David makes this choice that, that he's going to charge ahead in this direction away from God. And God doesn't give up on him. God doesn't just let him run off on his own. God stays right there with him, intervening all along the way, saying, I'm, I'm with you. Come on, David. He's pulling him back all the way through here. God intervenes. Look down in the text with me, 1 Samuel 25. Let's, let's read 31 and 32. He's already met this, this perfect woman, 
Abigail steps into the situation listening to God. She's responding to what God's doing in this whole scene. And she stops David in his tracks. And then we get 1 Samuel 25, 31, and and, uh, 32. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Then David says to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. When we are at our worst, when we ourselves become enemies of God, God intervenes. God doesn't just let us run off on our own in the flesh. He's there fighting for us all along the way. When when we run off in the flesh, God is there pulling us back saying, come back to me. Come back home. God has made it his work to save you, to protect you, to redeem you even from yourself. See, David takes up the sword in anger, but before he even even get to Naval, Abigail shows up. And this is where the Spirit of God shows up in the moment and shows up in David. Because we know this. You've seen men like this. When men get irate, they cannot be contained. When men get emotional and finally snap in anger, usually it's only time that stops them. Especially in a situation like this, David is charging ahead. And remember, he has 400 men at his back cheering him on. But even still, with 400 men pushing him forward and cheering him on, God stops David in his tracks. God sends Abigail to appease David. And here's David's credit, right? David does get something right this week. Maybe there is something that we can take from David. To his credit, he listens. He hears the word of the Lord and this woman, and his heart is convicted. And in that moment, he relents. This this is the same as repenting. He turns. He turns away from the flesh, and he turns towards God, and he says, okay. Stops him in the middle of his anger, and he goes, See, we, we usually do something different. It's amazing that, that David leaves room for God to intervene here. Because when many of us make up our mind, especially when we make up our mind to follow the flesh into dark depths, we completely ignore God all the way down. Once we make up our minds that a moment of sin is okay, we try to avoid any semblance of God. But not David here. Even after he made up his mind to act on his anger, he didn't shut God out. He listened, and he let God change his mind. I think that that begs the question, how often does God send Abigails into our life? Because I think, and I imagine there's some of us sitting here this morning, and we're saying to ourselves, I wish God would have stopped me. And and some of those dumb decisions of our past, we look back on them and we look back on our life and we say, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God offer me a way out? Why didn't God stop me? Why didn't God send me an Abigail? And here's the truth. I think he probably did. I think he probably did and we didn't listen. Because I imagine there are a lot more Abigails in our life than we listen to. God God cares deeply about the decisions that you're going to make today. 
God cares deeply about the decisions you're going to make between this Sunday and next Sunday. And for every one of those decisions, every one of those moments of your life, God gives you all of the resources that you need to do good and to love this world and respond according to the kingdom of God. He gives you everything that you need. And God is intervening daily in our lives to make us stronger. God intervenes daily to keep us close to him. God is a master at saving me from myself. He's there. He's calling out our names, saying, come. And it's beyond just the daily, too, because maybe we see that and we see there are Abigails that surround us. But not only daily, but God saved me from myself once for eternity. See, in just, in just a few minutes, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together, commemorating what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago for our sake. That was God's one big intervention for you. He knew that we needed it. He knew the flesh was strong and that we are weak. And for every moment of failure, he sent his son to hang on a cross for us. Every single one of those failings, God gave us a way out. God is a master at saving me from myself. When sin separated me from him for eternity, he sent his one and only son down to this earth to become a sacrifice for those failings. God God knew that you had failed, and he took care of it for you. He eternally offered you a way out. That's who God is. That's what God our God does. He offers us a one more way out. It's there in front of us. And this, this meal, this meal sitting before us this morning is another reminder that whatever our past consisted of, whatever last week looked like for us, God forgave. Whenever we sincerely repent, we are on our knees before him, God washes it all away. See, this is, this is another reminder that whatever you have planned this week, God is well aware That if you had a good week last week and you're going to have a a buffoon week this week, God is well aware. And just like God intervened for David, God is intervening for you. You you do not have to follow through where this week is headed. There are some of us that are headed down dark roads this week and God's saying stop. And he has put up stop signs all along the way and offered you a way out. Scripture tells us that's what God has promised. Every single time there is a way out. You do not have to follow the flesh. God gives you another way. Let's read one more text today. You can turn there with me. It's 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Hear what the word of the Lord says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We think that the struggles that we were facing last week, and we think that the struggles that we're facing next week are unique to us. That we're the only one dealing with those kinds of things. But you hear early in in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God says it's, it's all the same. We've all been dealing with the same kinds of temptations since the beginning of time. 
And every sin that has ever been committed on this earth was a choice made by a person who could have chosen another way. By the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, there is another way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been given a way out. God always intervenes. God always provides a way out of the destruction that is in front of you. Right? The daily destruction that we stumble into, God has provided a way out. The eternal destruction that's waiting for us at the end of time, God has provided a way out. And now it's up to us. We have a responsibility to grab a hold of it and take it, to trust our God. Because all the destruction that surrounds our life is unnecessary. The pits that we fall into were avoidable if only we would listen to the Spirit instead of the flesh. May it be so this week. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning knowing we are broken. This is one of those mornings that we can relate well to David. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your intervention. To see how you've shown up in our life. How you've brought people in to warn us and to hold us. And Lord, may this morning we trust you. We put aside the flesh and trust the spirit. Lord, come and show us your ways. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.